Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I am the Bill Arnold part of that sentence. We are looking forward to a great couple of hours. We're going to start off with Guide Talk coming up, and then in the second hour, Oz Guinness will be joining me. It's going to be fantastic. And then uh, Barb Bruce will be on the program too in the second hour. You know, Guide Talk, where we talk about anything and everything, so we want to open up the floor and let you uh, participate in what uh, issues you would like us to address. 877 933 Eight-four. My power panel today is Dr. Jim Bilby. He's professor of biblical and theological studies at Bethel. George Fraser, the co-host of Real Recovery, who's gotten to be kind of a regular in Guy Talk. And then Dr. Peter Kapsner, he'll be joining us in just a couple of minutes. He's in the studio next to us right now. A busy guy. So that's uh, what the plan is for today. Let us know what your questions are. I've got a couple to get things started, but I would love to get your input. Again, 877-933-2484. We will be back in 60 seconds. Faith Radio offers the perfect resource for you to grow deeper in your faith and be encouraged. It's the Faith Radio Newsletter. The newsletter is a monthly email you'll receive when you sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. It points you to recent compelling interviews and encouraging articles. You can also stay up to date on our latest giveaways and upcoming events. Sign up for the Faith Radio Newsletter under the Subscriptions tab at MyFaithRadio.com. You have your people, the people who help you connect faith to life. When they show a simple trust, those people are your kids. When it's unconditional forgiveness, maybe it's your spouse. And when it's someone who serves and teaches and encourages, maybe it's your pastor. We all have people. At Faith Radio, we are a collection of those people growing together every day in the ways of grace and hope and truth. Connecting faith to life. Faith Radio. Welcome to the show. Guy Talk is underway. Dr. Jim Bilby, George Fraser, Peter Kapsner in just a few minutes, and me, we'll be addressing any issue you would like, but I do want to get things started. Jim, you were just telling me before we came on the show that you've got seven games between all of your kids that you're going to be attending this week alone. Yeah, it is the season to uh, watch some football and some soccer and, you know, yeah. There's one dedicated dad. Well, you know, uh, it... It can get a little overwhelming, but you have to just soak it up because I'm just intensely aware that I'm going to blink two or three times and they're all going to be off and out of the house and doing other things. Right. And I'm going to really miss this. So yeah. I don't want to I don't want to have any regrets that I was, wasn't yeah. able to get to stuff. Yeah. Do you do some eye rolling over parents that are a little over the top? Yeah, so I probably do, but let's be honest, there are probably other parents that do eye rolling about okay. me, okay. right? So, so. I, uh, I'm, I'm not widely known as a... As, uh, a Shy, retiring, don't share my opinion type. So I've, <laughs> I've never known I, you to be I, that. I'm thinking of a particular event at a, one of the first football games uh, that my son played this year 
the officials made a particularly egregious call, and I, of course, was helping them uh, by pointing that fact out, and <laughs> my wife was hitting me and calm, calm down a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's issues there, but, you know, um, you probably got to start by looking in the mirror at that one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this is a change, George, because when we were in high school, I mean, Jim's son's a senior in high school, but when we were in high school, did your dad come to all of your games? No, my dad came when he had nothing else to do, <laughs> and that worked well for all of us. Because uh-huh. you can, you can have a lot of people in the stands. You can hear your dad, at least mine. Yes, and uh, it has changed. I have stepkids now, and not only do the parents go to every game, so do the grandparents. And they have like tents for baseball, so the son and, but they're they're fun to go to. Mm-hmm. I remember playing a hockey game. My my stepdad came and. He didn't come very often, but when he did, um, he would sometimes cheer me on. And I Ack was so close to having a breakaway, and he yelled. I could hear him from the stands yelling, Skate, Bill! And I fell. The minute I heard him say that. So, so I, much for the breakaway. Just to spite him? Or no, no, I didn't. I think I was so spooked. I, <laughs> I fell to the ice. That's really a sad story. Oh, it's it. terribly sad, but yeah. I've worked through it in group therapy. So, yeah, you're doing I, well. I prefer you don't bring it up again. The problem is there's so many games now, uh, and they're fun, but you're right. It, uh, I'm a lot older than you, both of you. Well, not you, Bill, but you, and it's like <laughs> it goes by quick. It goes by, and you look back and go, wow. And yeah. three years of high school. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I want to uh, tackle a question here. I'm going to already look in Jim's direction. Don't take it personally, George. Uh, but in Matthew six twenty four, it says, uh, you know, you cannot serve two masters. And so what does it mean you can't serve two masters? I mean, you know, you, you love Jesus, but you like money. So how do you do both? Yeah, I mean, at some level, you'd say, well, you can serve two masters. I have my boss that, you know, he tells me what to do, and I more or less agree. Um, and I hopefully am following the king, right? And I so there's there's a sense in which... We do divide our loyalties, but I think what that's trying to really get at is that you can't have anything that trumps your loyalty to Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. right? So ultimately, if there's anything that you love that causes you to change how you engage your faith, causes you to mo- water down how you engage your faith, or causes you to change the faith, then that's fundamentally inappropriate. But of course, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can also you know, cheer for my son's football team and I can, you know, work, you know, where I work, you know, and I can have uh, responsibilities and have bosses and have people that are my, to use an extended sense of the term, master. Um, but none of that Trump gets the Trump, mm-hmm. my following Jesus. So if I choose not to send my money to fund a, a missionary because I want to go to Maz- Mazatlan, is that, am I putting money before? Am I... Am I serving? Am I trying to serve two masters at that point? Well, uh, so I I think it's impossible to answer that uh, with respect to any particular decision. Okay. Right. So I think how we treat our money is a much bigger picture question than that. So I mean, the Old Testament, the mindset was, you you have your money, ten percent of it goes to God. In fact, the first ten percent. The New Testament changes that mindset, and the mindset really can be described as it's all God. It's it's all God's. Be generous with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So a person who lives out of a generous mindset, there may be times where they choose not to fund some great mission organization and they may choose to spend money on themselves, at least feeding themselves and clothing themselves and maybe, you know, going to Mazatlan occasionally. Right. 
the but what's more important <laughs> is what's the attitude of your heart and do you have this mindset that I first cover my own needs and my my Mazatlan needs and only second then I engage the kingdom that would be a problem yeah but I don't think it comes down to as simple as if you're truly a Christian you can ever get to go to Mazatlan or any place like that right okay. thank you I mean I could witness to people on the beach come on well yeah as far as Video you know that, so that I could be helpful. that yeah, yeah. I like so to see that. I, I, you know, I go on this one that a double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. And I think for me on the money thing, Jim, living in this culture as rich as we are, I don't have a good handle on this. I'll tell myself because I give a lot away. But if 30,000 kids are starving to death every day in the world, uh, it's impossible for me to really get my arms around that one. And you, you do what you can. But I think uh, in our culture, God's, our God is money. People are, what do you do? That's the first thing you ask. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, what kind of car do you drive and that? And I just think it's so ingrained. It's real hard for me to get that out, Bill. I yeah. I mean, so you're exactly right. And so the trick is to have a mindset that puts God and his kingdom first, right? That's actually the, the verse right before the one, you, you know, seek first God's kingdom, right? And, and, and if you're doing that, then I think it's appropriate to... Also, allow yourself to relax a little bit, but it has to be in a context of where you're willing to put God's kingdom first. Mm-hmm. I like that. There was a book I read when I was at Bethel called Rich Christians in a Hungry World by Ronald Ron, J. Sider. Ron Sider, yep. Yeah. It's a great book. Oh. Yeah. Very convicting. Yeah. And, and he's still writing convicting stuff. He's he's still, uh, he's he's shaking people up a little bit. Yeah, I'm more of a Grisham guy now that I'm out of school, but <laughs> yeah, yeah it's good. I David, got you. David Platt is that way, too. But Jesus spends a lot of time talking about money in, yeah. in the New Testament, and so obviously it's something that is a you know an issue or, or a struggle point, whether you have a little or a lot. It's you still struggle. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Let's take a little break. When we come back, we just got uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner walked into the studio, so the team, the power panel, just got larger. We're going to let you know that uh, we'll be back with lots of guide talk. Let us know whatever topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Send us a text. We'll tackle it, 877-933-2484. Back in 90 seconds. the show guide talk is underway dr peter capture just joined in the power panel peter how are you i'm doing well Bill. great to be here yeah it's always nice to have you here dr uh, jim bilby and and dr george fraser is here that's the one and only time i'll say that because that was a lie <laughs> i kind of like that but I, it sounded kind of nice didn't it it did yeah yeah all right gentlemen uh, let me ask you this is it a sin not to read the bible Jim, you're throwing it over to me right away. I mean, wow. Bill, you've never asked that question before. That's uh, you know, So I guess my thought on that is is how many people have followed um, Jesus and uh, the New Testament, and then obviously the Jews following God in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Bible that they were working with. And so um, is it a sin not to read the Bible? Well, if it if it is, then what about all the people that didn't have access to it? And uh, And so now we do have access to it, so yes. the question changes a little bit. 
if, if sin means that you're missing the mark and untethering yourself from God, believing that you have a better way forward than God might have for your life, then um, I would say that the Bible is a, is a pretty invaluable help in that process. So I don't know that I would call it a sin per se, but I would say that you're you're sort of risking an untethering that you might not want to risk if you're not willing to get into the Word. So, I mean, the question of sin has to bring up motives, right? So if you're going, I, I don't want to listen to God at all, right? whether or not you're reading the Bible, that would be a problem, right? So if you're avoiding input from God and you're avoiding reading Scripture because of that, um, then then that would be a problem. That would be just obviously uh, incorrect. That would be sinful. But I could imagine that, you know, um, a person might take a couple of days and they're wholly focused on something else and be like, well, I didn't, I didn't get around to pouring into Scripture today. That wouldn't by itself mean, oh, you're inherently sinful, right? right. So I think we, what we, the crucial thing is we need to be seeking to hear from God wherever he is communicating to us. I, yeah, that's, I don't want to be a hypocrite here, but if you don't want to read the Bible, I would look on that as a bigger problem than missing a few days. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, why don't I want to do this? Yep. Um, well, if you're not interested in what God has to say, maybe you're apathetic or maybe you've got pride or there's something. Oh, I, I got all those and I get that. I get, no, I get that. But what I'm saying is I don't look on that as I have to. I look on it as I want to. But I remember when I did look on it as I have to. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's a get to. That's fair, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think to your point, George, I did go through a season in my own life, too, where because it was a have to, mm-hmm. and that whole idea of God saying that I'm not looking just for sort of this rote obedience in your sacrifices. I'm looking for a contrite heart. Um, you can read the Bible every single day without a contrite heart, and you're sort of just putting in the time, right, and feel like I've got to do this. i got to check in with my accountability group. Yes, I read that last passage last night, or I've got a Bible study to get to. All of those different reasons, I actually decided to take some time off from reading the scripture because it had become something that was actually in my way in terms of what was going on in my heart and why I didn't want to. And to Jim's point about motives and stuff, and in that season of being away from the text, had to ask some hard questions about, so what's going on here? I can't continue this because there's no life in just doing the action itself. There needs to be sort of a, your whole self has to be in with it in order for, I think, to do the work that it needs to do. Yeah. It, the legalistic punch the clock. I, I read scripture today. Right. I, I prayed a little bit. Uh, therefore, I'm a good Christian uh, is something that we need to resist in, in all of its forms. Yep. Uh, yes, we read scripture, but again, it has to be a, a want to thing or we aim at it being a want to thing. If we just think of it, you know, I, this is what I need to do to, you know, check my box, box to being a good Christian today, that that's not sustainable. It's, and it's not what, it's not a relationship that what uh, scripture, what God is calling us to. One of the most convicting sermons I ever heard was Dave Johnson at Open Door. And Mm -hmm. he was talking about, let's say that he was playing golf and he went home that night and there was a call from Tiger Woods on his cell phone that Tiger had seen him playing and wanted to fly up the Gulf Stream to get Dave to bring him down to Florida to work with him because he thought he could go on the tour and make a lot of money. And Dave said, do you think I'd call him? Well, of course, I'm thinking I would. And he said, why do I have such a problem going to God in prayer all the time? And I thought, okay, that really convicted me. Um, I think I kind of have to pray all the time for more of a desire to want to do this, you know, increase my faith. Was Did you say that was the prayer of the centurion? 
It, well, there's that idea of, yeah, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And and even, and I think, George, you're referencing that, that idea of really seek after God's heart and he will give you the desires of your heart. Mm. And I think, unfortunately, we sometimes misunderstand that passage to be that if I really earnestly pray and I really want a sports car and that's the desire of my heart, if I pray well enough, God's going to give me that desire. But in that passage, it literally it could and should be rendered the idea of as I seek after God's heart, he will then realign the desires of my heart. He will give me the desires of my heart that are consistent with his kingdom. It, it's him that does the formation work that allows our desires to change because, and I love that example of Tiger Woods, and, and I would have this passionate response to say yes to that. And there's so many things about God's kingdom that if I'm honest about it, I might not have that same passionate response. So how do you start walking the kind of relationship with Jesus where that passionate response does become part of who you are when it comes to matters of the kingdom, like it would be on the golf course? And I think that's the invitation to seek after God, to reorient the desires of my heart so that they are in alignment with God's kingdom. Because, Jim, to your point, to be a hypocrite is simply to have exterior behaviors that don't match the interior world of your heart. So you can play this game out here all day long of sort of acceptable Christian social behavior and check the boxes of, of, of legalistic ideas. But inside, as Jesus would say to the Pharisees, you're filled with the bones of dead men. You look great on the outside, whitewashed tomb. You look wonderful when we see you in public. But inside, there's just death and destruction. There's nothing there. And I'm familiar with that journey. And I think we should add that it's also entirely appropriate to think about some of these difficult things, uh, reading Scripture, getting on our knees and praying, uh, all these disciplines. Sometimes they're difficult, and sometimes we don't necessarily feel it in our heart. We don't have the passion. So what do we do in those circumstances? What I've noticed is that sometimes when I get myself to do that anyway— God gives me the passion. Mm-hmm. I end up finding, oh, my right. goodness, right. I didn't think I had it in me today that this was something that, that I really could have done. But when I do it, then suddenly, wow, that was really, really good. Yeah. So I think the kind of an extended sense of God will give you the desire of your heart is if you – there's a certain sense. I have a friend that used to say, sometimes in the Christianity, you have to fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to step into these things that you don't necessarily feel – but you're doing that, and in the process of doing that, you will then find your passion and find that you enjoy this, and you, you'll remember that. And sometimes, actually, that's—I just think that the Christian life is such that that's the way it's, it's going to be. Sometimes it's, we're feeling it, and it's great, but not always. And so in those moments, I think it's important to still step into that and make the, the difficult choice. And speaking of golf, and I have no— <laughs> I have no desire to embarrass George, but did you know, guys, that he five-putted last week? He did. Five-putted? Yeah. Five-putted. You know, I'm not, it, I, I wish I could say I was surprised. Part <laughs> <laughs> three, got my six. <laughs> got on a one and took yeah. five from there. You got on a one and, t- and So let's putted. talk about God some more. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I would love to. I would uh, love to. You know, that was really helpful to me before your putt comment. Now I'm in my shame mode. I am a loser, you know? But um, I'm always looking and I'm listening like I'm in the car about how do I improve this? Because there are days when I phone that in. You know, yeah. I do my little daily bread and my Proverbs by Keller and say my prayers real quick. And that's what I've been trying to work on is what's what's a way for a tip? And for you, it's to do it even when you don't feel like it. Act as if. How about you? Yeah, I, I will say, you know, God, um, can you reveal to me? Search my heart and know me, right? That The prayer of the psalmist. But uh, just in simple language, it's just reveal why I'm such a zoo inside. Like, why do I not care about these things that I think I should be caring about? And it's pretty funny how some all like you have these thoughts that you're like, 
Oh, that might explain it. Now, I don't know how God speaks to us entirely, but I will say more often than not when I pray that prayer of I'm a zoo inside, help me see it, that you get some insight, whether from yourself or somebody else, about what might be going on. And uh, then there's the invitation to, to walk into the pathways of change in that. So Nice. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think related to the, the zoo that we all sort of right. set, have a sense of, uh, to acknowledge the fact that we're wired in unique ways and to not try to make your Christianity, yes. how you live that out, like everybody else's. You, we, we have to tailor that. God made us a unique person with unique gifts and unique abilities. And if we just try to like, well, this person, this, this works for this person, so it must work for me, not necessarily, right? So let yourself seek God out of your the strengths and that he has hardwired you with. Um, that is, I you know say that to students, and that is such a freeing thing because they all see, well, the super Christian over here and the super Christian over here, they do it this way, so why doesn't it work for me? Yeah. And that, I beat myself up with that when I was younger as well, and, and you, we have to just uh, sit back into how God has created us and work our engagement of him out of that context. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that, Jim, because I know, too, you mentioned shame earlier, George. I walked in quite a bit of shame in terms of that idea of what does the model disciple do, right? And And for me growing up, it was the message of you need to get up while the sun is rising, maybe it's 545 or something like that, and get yourself positioned by a quiet pool of liquid somewhere. And as the sun is rising, make sure you open up the book to some New Testament, probably Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, one of those, and read some of the text. And I thought, I've got to do that. I mean, that was what everybody was in. And it was actually, I, I didn't want to do that. And it didn't mean that I shouldn't do that, but I was finding that I was intersecting with God in, in some very different ways than that. And so I think, Jim, to your point, uh, some of my sweetest time is when I've got a 35 or 40 minute drive, just shut it all down, shut down the radio, shut down the music, shut it all down and just simply interact with God back and forth and wonder about the day, wonder about my kids, wonder about my wife. Um, God, where are you taking me? Where are, where's my hand too tight now in this life that I'm holding on to something that I shouldn't? All of that, uh, it was maybe that might not work for somebody else, I, but I was not a 545 by a pool of, uh, of liquid guy. By a pool of liquid, you mean coffee, right? Well, it could be that, but you know, it's, it's always the it's the serene sort of pastoral photo of the lake, right? I mean, that's, that's right. you sit on in a dock with your Bible, sun's coming up, coffee steaming, and that's you know that's the super Christian. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I gotta confess, if there was no coffee, I don't know if I'd ever read my Bible. Uh, I don't think I'd ever get out of bed either. That's uh... so, Peter. Are you trying to do some listening at that point when you've got that thirty-five minute? Uh, commute and you're only going two miles well, <laughs> that's and that's about right that is but truly that is what i'm trying to do is just trying to hear it, it's interesting when you start tuning into sort of the voice of the shepherd in whatever way you know best i love that dallas willard talks about that that god is always speaking in the cosmos and how do you begin to dial into the voice of the shepherd and mm-hmm. uh, and what does that mean to hear his voice and uh, that's some really sweet time for me in the car mm-hmm. i like it We're going to be open to taking your questions or if you have an issue you'd like us to discuss or maybe you're just happy sitting and listening to us uh, talk. Either way is A-OK with us. 877-933-2484. Again, it's only a text. 877-933-2484. Guide Talk is underway. Dr. Jim Bilby, Dr. Peter Kapsner, George Fraser, the co-host of Real Recovery, and myself. We're absolutely open to taking your questions. Let us know what you want us to chat about. We'll be right back.
staring up the road and pray to God I see headlights. I made it down the coast in 17 hours, picking me a bouquet dogwood flowers. Welcome back to the show. We're enjoying Guide Talk. Dr. Jim Bilby, Dr. Peter Kapsner, George Fraser. Awfully glad to have this power panel in the studio. It's really nice. All right, uh, Jim, I'm looking your way again. Our, our hearts are obviously created by God and designed for worship, aren't they? To worship something. Yeah. I, well, to be a human is to uh, seek to worship something beyond ourselves. Yes. Right? And so that that is hardwired into us. Um, uh, and I would say that, that, that God has created us not just to worship, but uniquely to uh, that we're never really going to be happy until we're worshiping him. So, I mean, Lewis's fav- famous statement is that there's a God-shaped hole in all of our hearts that God created us with. So he created us with this f- this fundamental idea of longing right now. When we try to fill that with other stuff, whether it be uh, achievements in business or money or, um, you know, fame or sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, all the different things that humans try to fill that with, it, it doesn't work. And it actually often makes our problems more severe and, and, um, and, and separates us from God. And so we are inherently worshiping beings, but ultimately only God, only worshiping God will uh, fill that um, longing that we have in a way that is sustaining, life-giving, it's the what it's what we were created for. Peter, you could probably make a comment even without hearing the question. Well, I was going <laughs> to say when Jim was talking about the filling the, the hole there. I mean, there's so many angels of light, right? That we would be willing to worship. That are just when when Satan shows up in the text, he doesn't frighten me as much as the roaring lion that he is because I know what to do when a roaring lion is there. You, you run. But when Satan comes as this sort of angel of light that is promising things through your career, through a relationship, through whatever that 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 God shaped hole will be filled. It's really easy to start worshiping in that direction, thinking if I just get that relationship, if I just get that job, I'm finally going to be satisfied. And I can't tell you the number of times I've went to another rung on the illusory ladder or the ladder of deceit, and I made it up another notch or something like that. <laughs> and it's funny how you're like grateful for about 13 seconds, and then the next day you're that hole is still there. Yeah. I was the question I, I asked, and you had stepped out of the studio. <laughs> is that our hearts are designed for worship. Yeah. So if God is not in that place of worship, you will find some other love, however disordered it will be, but you will you will sink all of your energy into worshiping that because that's what we do, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And, and unfortunately, I have too many seasons in my own life where I did just that, where I worship something, and I think about the years wasted that you just cannot get back. And, and I get it on some level that... You sort of have to learn through the suffering and turmoil, and you sort of have to go to that prodigal son place and take a really good, you know, taste sometimes of the rubbish can uh, and and realize that this isn't actually giving me the hope because I will worship something, to your point. I, I will give virtue to something. I will say that this is worthy of my time, attention, and energy, and that's really what the heart of worship is, is what you perceive to be worthy of your time, heart, and energy, and boy, oh, boy, it's not always been God in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, the... <laughs> The uh, crucial question, I think, then, is how do we figure out if we're worshiping something else, right? And um, I had this conversation with a couple of students just the other, the other day, and it, what this calls us to, I think, more importantly, is to have people in our lives that can call us 
when we're out of line, that they that they can point this out and that we have this sort of like honest, open relationship when, you know, Peter, you can tell me, I don't know what you're doing right here, but this right. isn't this isn't you. This isn't this isn't Christ uh, um, following. This isn't what you want to be. And if I don't have that so many times in my life, I'm going to be walking down a path that uh, that does involve worshiping something else because it, we're so good at at hiding our motives and I'm doing something that isn't ultimately okay, but I'm kind of, Oh, but it's all right because, and I justify all the things that we do. And so to have people, those close authentic friends that can call us on, uh, on our actions when we're, when we're worshiping something that's not worthy of, of the King. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jim, and I, you and I have talked about this on air before, but I, I mean, it's a, Probably I would consider it a top five most important sort of trajectory changing moment in my life. I remember just where I was standing in my house when you called me out on something. And uh, and that conversation was not easy, but it was maybe one of the best conversations that I've had just in terms of having a trusted friend who I know is actually for me. You weren't there to blow off steam. You weren't there to finally get it off your chest or something along those lines. You were there because you recognized that there was something not whole in our friendship and our relationship. And in calling that out in this trusted place, it was a beautiful process. I, you walk out of that then with gratefulness that you don't have to keep walking in this crazy yeah. blindness at which you're walking. Yeah. All right. If you have a low view of sin, will you then have a low view of obedience? I think you will. And worse, you'll have a low view of Christ. Yes. Yeah. Right. So if sin isn't really that bad, then Christ isn't really that necessary. Mm -hmm. Right. And then everything that we do about following Jesus Christ becomes, yeah, that'd be a okay thing to do rather than this is what you do to stay whole. This is what you do to uh, actually fill that spot in our heart that only works, you know, that only Jesus Christ can really uh, complete and fill. Um, so, right, if, if if your notion of sin is, eh, it's not ideal, yeah. that will have massive repercussions uh, in other areas of your life about how you think about things, what you do, what you value, et cetera. Yeah, I've never thought about that relationship, Bill, the way you frame that question. That's interesting to, to think about. But yeah, it, if you don't have a robust view of the destructive nature of sin and what it can do to destroy your life or somebody else's life uh, around you, then the motivation to obey is probably going to be pretty minimal at that point. And so to dumb down some of these things that are destructive, and it, I, I, I'm always, I think, a little bit concerned, more than a little bit concerned about how some kind of behavior that once seems shocking becomes sort of normalized as quickly as it does. Mm -hmm. And you think about just the history in our country of all sorts of forms of that. And, uh, and so something's like, wow, that's way out of bounds. It's amazing that if you um, just give it a little bit of time, how quickly the out of bounds kind of becomes normal. I mean, I think about watching an episode of Friends in the 1990s, right? And when that first show came out and Rachel came into this coffee shop with her five other friends and showed up, Hallie and I watched an episode of that and thought, I don't think you can even say that on TV. Are you kidding me? And and then if you watch an episode now of that, it is tame by comparison. And so I think if you have a low view of sin where it just kind of becomes normal and part of your day, what's the point of obeying if you can't see its destructive nature anymore? Mm-hmm. Certainly feels that we are speaking about sin in a much more diminished tone in the in society. It sure. seems that way. We're looking at things that the Bible clearly calls sin, and it's become normalized in a lot of people's 
everyday conversation. I think the uh, uh, the these questions tie together for me about the worship, uh, worshiping God. The the hard part about worshiping God is then we don't worship ourselves. And and even back when I became a Christian, the main reason I did was to get the get out of hell card for free. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at me. And yeah. so the, the low view of sin is because I have an elevated view of myself, which at the same time, there's an inverse relationship kind of with my view of God and myself, like I'm on a teeter-totter. And, and the higher my view of myself, the lower my view of God is. And when I get that right, then I want to please God rather than myself. And so sin does become important. And I think when, when I get that, you know, view right of who God is and who I truly am, then I realize I am very sinful. But if I don't know who God is, well, what's sin? Yeah, I like talking about sin on the show because, uh, you know, the wages of sin is death. Right, right. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But if you don't know God, how do you know what a sin is? Well, of course not. Right? No, that's why we do evangelism, George. (laughs) I I should listen more. (laughs) Um, A listener just said, if sin isn't that bad, Christ isn't that necessary. Yeah. Nice. It's a quote from somebody. He can't recall who, who said it, but yeah. Um. Yeah, it does take away from the magnificence and the importance of both uh, Good Friday and, and then Easter Sunday, of course. I mean, yeah. the, the victory over sin and death that, that occurred in those moments, it does really diminish that if sin really isn't all that big of a deal. And and I think sometimes, too, Bill, that we, um, I think we're so afraid of not somehow re- uh, representing a loving God that we don't want to talk about sin, that somehow... Um, those are two different things, but it's actually God's love that goes into the heart of sin to redeem, restore, and heal. And so as opposed to saying, well, I can't say anything about your journey or about what's going on and stuff because I just want to love you. Well, actually, God's kind of love goes right into the heart of it because they, God can see the destructive nature of it. And because he loves so deeply, he comes to redeem and restore. He does, he's not there to blow off some steam or to prove a point or to be angry about everything. He is there to try to restore to wholeness. And if you don't have uh, that robust nature of sin that we've been talking about, then you're not going to be motivated by the kind of love of the kingdom that's different than the love of the culture because the love of the kingdom is very much, I, I am broken by the lack of wholeness around me. And because I love you, I will go towards it so that wholeness can be restored. Mm-hmm. When you think of, you know, when you mentioned Good Friday and when you think of how good Jesus was to us yeah. that day, he yep. was so good to us that day. Yeah. So is there ever going to be an, any other day where he's going to be less good to us? No, clearly not. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I, and plus, I think in that moment, uh, what we're seeing is is we're seeing God, right? We're we're and we're not just this not the cross isn't just this uh, really cool thing that God decided to do. The cross that, that reflects God's disposition toward us, this His love for us. I mean, the Book of John talks about you want you want to see God, look at Jesus, mm-hmm. and you can say and look at Jesus and what He did on the cross and His willing to sac- sacrifice and to suffer for us. My favorite passages in the Bible is Philippians 2. Mm-hmm. Jesus, not thinking equality with God was something to be grasped onto, he gave up his divine prerogatives and suffered death, even death on a cross, right? Rough paraphrase. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that is, that's the sort of being that God is. And and once we know that, that's, that has to be a game changer. Yeah. yeah, I think about when you're referencing to that idea of Jesus going to the cross and just sort of in your in imagination sometimes and that passage from John 10:10 10, 10, where it says the thief has come to uh, steal kill and destroy 
And if there's always sort of these, this darkness and this thief that's coming with active energy against us to destroy the beauty and wonder of God's kingdom as represented in his people, like, what was it like for Jesus in that moment to somehow all of that energy, when it talks about all of sin and all of death and all of everything that that represents was concentrated on him for just that time. And he bore that whole thing out on our behalf and broke it wide open. He broke all of that power. And so this invitation of him saying, you tether yourself to me, and I promise you that kind of life can come into your life as well. What was it like when he took evil's best shot? And what were each of those steps from the garden to Calvary like for him as just the weight of this was on top of him? Sometimes when those are the kinds of conversations I'm having with myself and God in the car, it it, it brings up a a place of gratefulness that I otherwise can't draw up myself on. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, I would love to have a little refresher course on the purpose and meaning of church. Jim, uh, during the break you were talking about it wasn't designed to be a holy huddle. I thought that was kind of an interesting expression. Yeah, we as we as Christians kind of, I think, get, we get this idea that we just we just go to church and we just hang out with each other and it just isn't this cute and we, we, you know, and there's really great things that can happen there. But I think the the biblical idea of church is to, we come together for the purpose of going out right? Uh, the mission of God is not for us to just hang out with other Christians. The mission of God is to uh, accomplish his will in the world and to fight oppression and to have people know who he is. And so if we're just hanging out with each other, we've missed the point. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a real value to obviously worshiping together and uh, under you know understanding scripture better and hearing the word preached. And this is all crucially important, but so often then we just, that's all we do. And it's just this holy huddle. We hang out and we, then we go home and we, we live our lives. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's what church, I don't think that's what God intended church to be. The purpose of the church is to come together so we can go out. And you see the landscape of churches all across the city where you see mostly rainbow flags out front right. and you think, hmm, is this turned into some kind of social experiment? Well, it is, and it speaks to the idea that there's these that the church has become an idea of an institution that has to sort of stand for something, and and so a church, I think, unfortunately, is too often thought of in my own mind as a building with a steeple and a sign with a pithy saying on it or something along those lines that I go to. But church in the New Testament was the 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 word for it in the Book of Acts was ecclesia, and it's simply the people of God following Jesus, bearing light in the world. And and Jim, I think what you just said, I heard a, a pastor once say that Sunday should be that time of kind of a locker room. It is, we are out in the field, we are in battle on behalf of the kingdom and all of the various ways we do that in the course of our week. And so a gathering on a Sunday is to just sort of have that Sabbath rest, that pause where we hear some teaching, we share communion, we we maybe eat together and we reorient ourselves for the work that is in front of us. So this idea that I'm going to an institution that maybe has some sort of, uh, I don't know, agenda that uh, is trying to do or they're trying to even grow the church from a number standpoint, that's, those are all very unusual views of the church as mm-hmm. opposed to the people of God following Jesus to shine light in this world need to gather regularly so that they can stay in the game. That's a very different thing that's happening than the idea of I go to church. Okay, the rainbow flags outside the church. Uh, It's possible that they're trying to reach out to the least of these. Sure. And I, I sometimes think that a lot of us start getting the gospel when we have a gay kid or a gay friend or a same sex seeking relative or somebody that we really care about. And the problem is they're not going to help them by saying it's okay, getting back to the sin again. But I want to be careful to not 
judge the churches because I think they're trying to do the right thing and reach out to Lisey's. I mean, I can't throw any rocks. I'm a recovering cocaine addict, right. okay? Um, and and you so. Are. Yeah, I wish I would have known this before I invited yeah, you to the show. I know. Well, you know, Jim, you, I think it's time for you and I to wrap this up. I'm not the I'm the only one who's not a doctor here. Yeah, I'm out of here. But but I think you know I got to look at that too. And I think the sad thing is, is these people are trying to reach out in the name of God to help these people. And the only way you can really do that, I think, is to identify it as sin. I know people could have uh, uh, linked alcoholism with homosexuality and stuff in the in the Bible. Uh, people had told me it was okay to keep drinking. I'd be dead. Mm. But I don't want to be too judgmental on these people because I think they're trying to help. And I think we've cast out people. And I'll tell you, if, I, if one of my kids was uh, same-sex attracted and that I'm, I can't imagine how hard that would be to have that. You know what I mean? I mean, I got a ton of other sins. So you don't kick these people to the curb, but I, I'm sure that's not to encourage the behavior isn't helping. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make any sense to anybody? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Note to self, vet my guests better. All right, let's take a little <laughs> break. We'll be right back with more Guy Talk. <laughs> Talks underway. Dr. Jim Bilby, Dr. Peter Capster, George Fraser. We're having an interesting conversation about anything and everything. We've gotten some really nice input from listeners. I was thinking of that uh, episode in Ruth, where, where when you do a deal um, and the, the deal becomes final, you take off one sandal and give it to the other person. Do you wear crummy sandals to business deal days? <laughs> <laughs> that is a passage with which I'm unfamiliar. Jim, have you uh, have you sorted this one out? You practice this in uh, life somehow? I, I actually think that uh, this is something you should comment on. Yeah, no, um, I've, been reading so, the book, I've been reading the book of Ruth, yeah. and I had a guest on yesterday talking about Ruth. And it's, uh, um, it's in Ruth chapter 3 um, in verse 7. It says, um, Now in earlier times in Israel, the, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in, in Israel. Huh. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. So, I mean, I figured on days where you're doing business deals, you're, you're wearing yeah. your crummy sandals, I've, right? <laughs> I've got my good ones on today right I know, now. I saw that. That's what made me think of it, Peter. Because <laughs> I saw you walk in, it's fall, and you've got sandals on. So. I do, indeed. Yeah. Um, I want to get a little bit personal with you guys, if you don't mind. I was wondering if there's an area of growth in your life where you've, you would like God to transform you. Is there something that you would be willing to share for the sake of growing um, and, and giving our listeners a chance of maybe a personal area that you're trying to have the Lord transform you in? How much time do you got? I got uh, only about six minutes for all three of you. <laughs> so you can hit and run. The... The thing that unfortunately immediately leaps to mind is just patience, right? I uh, am find it so easy to be patient with people that uh, I think make lots of sense and say lots of things that, that 
that fit with kind of how I th- uh, think, and then I have a conversation with somebody, and and I disagree with them, and I and it's so easy to just what are you doing? I, I'm done with you, mm-hmm. and um, and so just patience in how I treat people, patience in situations, not assuming that everybody's process to understand things is is the exact same process as as mine is. Um, just there are so many areas in my life where I just find myself being impatient and I want things to just happen on a particular time frame and they're not. Yeah. It's not happening that way and then I I just get frustrated and shut down and or say things that are really unhelpful. And yeah. So um I this is uh my impatience has been the thing that uh is, is often messes up my uh my marriage relationship. Uh, it makes me a worse father than I should be. Uh, a, a a colleague at work, um, it it gets in the way, and so it 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 uh, mess it it affects with a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the thing, just immediately leaps yeah. to mind. So Jim, if you would call it wisdom or discernment or even black and white thinking, do you have that? Um, I I wouldn't say that I have black and white thinking. Okay. It's that a lot of times I'm impatient with black and white thinking. Okay. So it's the opposite. That's interesting. Yeah. So I appreciate that. I, I, if somebody says, well, it's just this, and I'm oh no, it's infinitely more complicated <laughs> yeah. than that, and why can't you see that? Well, you're too smart then. Well, yeah. it, that's I've true. I've never I mean, experienced that from you, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the core of your relationship? Yeah, that's well, it right there. I say something, he says, give me a break. So yeah. that's, okay. that's how it works. <laughs> see, and, and that's the problem, right? Um, but no, it's, it, it, just that that patience with people to realize that uh, they just have a different process for things or they're just in a different place and to just uh, give them all the grace that can possibly be given as they arrive at whatever understanding they're they're aiming at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first thing that immediately comes to my mind is is I do have a belief that we live in this beautiful, ongoing, redemptive story uh, of of all time, but over the last two thousand years in Christianity, and and so because I believe that's true, I know I am going to die <laughs> someday, and the story will carry along with people well after me, and and I think where God has really been pressing on me is the idea of, you know, don't worry about building your own little kingdom, don't worry about being more significant than you think you should be. Um, are you willing, Peter, to devote your time, energy, and effort? towards giving it away to the next generation, even if it costs you whatever, uh, whatever that it doesn't matter. And so can you be more interested in other people's well-being and in the story that's much bigger than yourself than you are in yourself? And, uh, and that's uh, Richard Rohr uses the language of descent. Are you willing to descend? And, uh, and that is, that's a, that can be a rough descent. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like the turbulence drops you about 10,000 feet at a time. But I think that's kind of where I'm living right now is, is that idea of descending, knowing that my time is, is limited on this earth. And are you willing to invest in other people besides just trying to grasp after everything? Anything there, George? George, your boy? You know, I, honestly, I'm actually doing a lot better than I ever thought I would. <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, I think trusting God more and tying in, you know, obviously I need to be more patient and thinking about others. I, I really think it gets down to trusting God, that it, that really what he said is true, because I take stuff back and try to control it, and I get impatient, and if I really believe that all the time, then I wouldn't. So that's, that's it, trusting God. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in your life right now that you feel especially grateful to God for? Especially grateful. My family. Okay. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Yeah. Mine too. Without, without question. And yeah. they're just at the age where I'm aware every single day my kids are just, they're getting older. And again, I'm going to blink 
mm-hmm. and they're going to be like all 25, right? And I'm just, I want to just soak up every moment I can possibly uh, get these days with my with my kids and with my wife and just all of us together. So when we have opportunity to just have all be together, I'm just like, I'm cloud nine. Oh, it's cool. so, so fun. And you're still writing more books, aren't you, Jim? I'm trying. Yeah. What's the What's the new one that's coming out? Well, uh, I, there's a, a couple books coming out in the next uh, year that I've uh, worked on. Uh, one I uh, um, did with a colleague at Bethel, uh, my, my colleague Paul Eddy and I did a book on transgender issues and Christianity. And just that thorny question about how to think about that from a Christian perspective and different perspectives on that issue. And then I'm, uh, I have about maybe six months from now uh, um, a book on salvation and and uh, how we should think about the idea there are some people that never get an opportunity to hear the gospel. Can, can they be saved? And so that really that. difficult question is uh, a book that I finished up just last year, and it will be released maybe February or so, somewhere yeah. in there. All right, Peter? Yeah, not writing, but just uh, getting ready to launch it, just ran some pilots. That's why I was late to the show here today of a new uh, show for the Faith Radio Network called Into the Deep End, where mm-hmm. Pastor Heather Fleece and I, um, she's from Wooddale and has been around uh, the block many years, we're uh, going to jump into some deep end issues and try to address them from a variety of perspectives. So that's kind of what's on my radar moving forward. Yeah. And George, I'm letting you off the hook because we have 40 seconds left. I was just kind of wishing luck on, you know, hopefully being the second highest rated show on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, because it's clearly not going to be the highest rated no, show. No, no, no. Not I, with Real I, Recovery. I would not even t- take a target at Real Recovery. Sunday's at 5, yeah. Saturday's at 3. <laughs> you do have the prime time for that. Yes, I do. Well, that wraps up Guy Talk. Thanks very much to Dr. Uh, Jim Bilby, Dr. Peter Capster, and George Fraser, co host of Real Recovery. We have uh, enjoyed this time together. I hope you have as well. We're going to take a little break. Hour two is ahead. Ozzy Guinness is up first. And Barb Bruce is going to be a great hour. See you in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.